This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. From MPB Thing Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and the folks that love to stir the pot. Good morning, Malcolm White here with Carol Palmer. Today we will be your host on this stormy Monday. Mississippi is known all over the world for its rich Southern flavor, but the Gulf Coast has a very distinct and special culinary offering all of its own. Today we talk to William Rester of Radish, a Gulf Coast restaurant which is serving up fresh Gulf Coast flavors right in the heart of Long Beach, from pimento shrimp toast to a daily catch. We will touch on much of what the Gulf has to offer and also share some of the culinary news tidbits from here and there. We hope you can join the conversation. Shoot us an email to food at mpbonline.org. Well, Carol, you had a, a long two or three weeks as chairman of the Mississippi, the USA International Ballet Competition. You got to be whipped down. I am whooped <laughs> down, but I am so happy and I am filled with the joy of art and dance and music, and you know how that feels. Yes, it was a terrific. It's like drinking from a fire hose to have two weeks of dance. Joyful fire hose, yes. Yes. Yep. But it was uh, fantastic. I think I got to go three or four times. I got to take my granddaughter to two, thanks to you and your kindness. And Kara went to three or four. I don't know. But we enjoyed it so much. And it's just such a significant thing for Jackson and Mississippi to uh, have the international experience people and judges from all over the world java java was there yeah carol i have to thank you again i know i've told you maybe about four or five this is number six uh times saying thank you but uh my girls and my mother was able to come and we had a great time and i'm pretty sure uh my little ones they're going to remember that for a while they you know it's the last night of the traditional ballet so it was lots of tutus um and they were just having a great time there's nothing like a little girl looking at a ballerina with the tutu. That's and right. my my <laughs> oldest daughter, Marley, she brought her um, her little book that she always carries with her, and she was keeping score. Oh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I keep, I keep a junior scoring. judge in the making here. I know it. Yeah, I know. But it, it was a, a great two weeks, and... Um, you know, a lot of food in there. I haven't cooked in weeks. I'm going to do a lot of guilt cooking this week to make up for yeah. the meals I didn't cook for my family. Well, one of the conversations that you shared with Java and I that came out of the International Ballet Competition experience is a conversation you had with Wilma Mosley Clumpton about a film that she's working on. Indeed. Um, I was lucky enough to sit with or behind Wilma on the at the Friday night gala and she is you know just a noted documentarian and historian and she is the daughter of Jesse Mosley right 
the famous Jesse Mosley, I think Jesse lived to be 100, but was a key figure in the civil rights movement. And Jesse Mosley and Dr. Alfertine Harrison, I know, Malcolm, you knew both of those. Oh, and I'm, man. Look, Got I'm to serve on some boards with, yeah, with both of them. Yeah, but they pretty much single-handedly started the movement to save Smith-Robertson School, which was the first African-American public school. They were going to tear it down. And um, Jessie Mosley you know, was involved in that effort. She's known for so many things. But I somehow did not know that Wilma Clopton was uh, was her daughter. And Wilma has done a new documentary on food apartheid. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, we talk a lot on Deep South Dining about food deserts. And she said, no, food deserts are very different from food apartheid. And she said a food desert is God. She said a desert is God-made. Food apartheid is man-made, hmm. and the uh, film is going to be shown Thursday night at Smith Robertson. There's a reception. It's from six to eight, but I think it's something we need to look into. And Java, let, let's put her in our book to have on the show sometime. Yeah, I was actually um, spending some time with uh, Enrica Williams, um, and she's my everything food. And I ran about her, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I know, you know, all about it happening this Thursday at Smith Robinson." So um, it's it's you know these are topics that need to be talked about. Yeah, and it's great when it's in our own backyard and it's being talked about about our own people. I mean, from our own people. Like like right. Wilma. And in North Mississippi, speaking of events, there is a festival in Corinth, July 6 through 9, celebrating the Slugburger. <laughs> the Slugburger slug Fest. Now, that, you know, I was sad that none of us could go, but we need to put that on our calendar for next year. We were invited to attend the Slugburger Festival. And uh, for those of you who don't know, and many of you do, and and, and I'm no expert, but <clears throat> having lived in Boonville from Whoa, 1965. You are, you are from the epicenter <laughs> well, of, of Slugburger. Now, my husband would debate that. Right. But. John and I love to go back and forth about Corinth versus Boonville on the Slugburger. But it, it all began in Corinth with the Weeks family. I believe it was John was the elder Weeks brother. But there were five brothers, and they all were in the slug business. They were all in the hamburger stand business. And part of the family broke off and moved to Boonville. And my great friend Willie Weeks took over his father's uh, Weeks Burgers place. In fact, the burgers before they were called uh, slug burgers were referred to as Weeks Burgers. Yes, indeed they were. But for those who think a slug burger, as I did many years ago, was made out of slugs, like slimy slugs. No. That is not that is not what they're made of. It was they were a patty that used a, a mixture of beef or pork with an extender. So it right. made them inexpensive when there were you know, meat shortages That's right. during the wars and they used at first they used potato flakes and we were talking about this this morning malcolm and they, they referred to the one with the potato flakes as a dough burger hmm. and i don't know how or when but when they switched over or when they experimented with uh, soy mm-hmm. when soy came on the scene 
uh, that is what birthed the slug burger, which was named for slug is a, a fake coin. It's usually like a washer a coin that could be put in vending machines and trick the vending machines into thinking that it's a, a nickel. But it's really just a washer. It's the same size I know. and density. I, I, I think I tried a few. <laughs> of course, we all did. <laughs> yeah, we all did because whenever a house was being built in the neighborhood, there were always slugs around right. and kids would right. would go pick them up. But a I pocket know full that, of slugs. Yeah, that uh, Corinth will be hopping around the courthouse square and borum drugs that mm-hmm. sells the slug burger i was yeah. up there a few years ago with my husband who's from corinth and the ladies of borum drugs were sitting in the back pattying up that's right slug burgers, every morning many many many, many slug, slug burgers. burgers for the fest and typically what goes on a burger uh, a slug or a dough is a large slice of white onion and some a couple of pickles and mustard. That's the traditional Indeed. burger. You're not talking mayonnaise. You're not talking tomato, lettuce. I mean, you can get them dressed. But if you walk in and say, give me a slug or give me a dough burger, you're going to get a slice of onion. You're going to get a burger, typically fly, fried in, in lard. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have a large slice of white onion, mustard, and pickles. Well, before we leave that topic, let me ask you, did they still sell slug burgers in Boonville? Absolutely. Okay. And a couple of places do. Uh, there's little stands on the side of the road mm-hmm. and uh, other uh, – it, it moves around. There's a place downtown. I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, there was a cafe out on 49 and a couple of little spots. But they, they do very much still serve them in Boonville, Corinth, and that whole – New Albany. Downtown New Albany has a very famous slug burger uh, uh, location. I can't think of the name of it either, but some of our listeners. But it's very particular to just that Absolutely. area and also the Tennessee area where it, where it, um, yeah. Pickwick That's area. Right. That, that whole. And wasn't it a, a, a product of the Great Depression? That's right. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's a small thing. That's another reason it was called a slug because it was a very small burger. And it had its huge slice of onion, which was a filler, part of the filler. It was filler, filler, and filller. You know, it was bun, a lot of onion. And, and a little and bit extended, of protein. An extended <laughs> beef patty. But I know there are listeners uh, who are regular to this show who know a lot more about slugs and dough burgers than we do. And we invite them to call us. But, hey, come on in. The water's just fine. Now, speaking of burgers, Java, you attended the Magnolia Sunset Market this past week and learned a little bit about sorghum. And you also had uh, a very delicious, not slug burger, but vegan burger. Yeah, I had a, um, a great time, as always, the Magnolia Sunset Markets. Um, teamed up with uh, Midfest at the Midtown Depot um, this past weekend. And, uh, of course, there was a number of uh, different food vendors out there, along with Chef Poe, who we've had mm-hmm. on the show a, a couple times. And she made <laughs> I was going to get some uh, Berea tacos that she made, but she ran out of the... Um, out of the out of the shells so she was like i can make you i can make you a burger um and i, I was like a vegan burger i really don't want that right now <laughs> but she was like just try it just try it, just try it. so it was made out of jackfruit a lot of flavor um i forget the kind of slaw that she put on it but it was 
I mean, it was delicious. Chef Poe, along with like Enrica and a couple other people, when they make food, I just eat it. I don't even fuss or, you know, put up any type of barriers. Right. And, and I was happy about it. Just so eat your food, John. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it, but it was a good time. So if you see the Magnolia Sunset Markets, um, come hungry. <laughs> you know, Malcolm, we've turned Java into a foodie over the past four years. I mean, you're really getting to be an educated a little, foodie. A little bit because I, um, I do have my particular tastes, but I am more um, willing to try uh, these days. So, yeah, I appreciate y'all for oh, that. What did you learn about sorghum? Um, well, just sorghum is a, it's a different type of sweetener. Um, it comes in a lot of different, um, a lot of different ways. It was a young lady, um, Sade Meeks. Uh, she has a, a, a great a great program called Grits, and I wish I could pull up the acronym for that. But um, she she has a demonstration about sorghum that I did not know that you could pop like popcorn. Mm. And did not know that. Yeah, you can you can have it um, prepared so many different ways, and you can use it in so many different ways. It's native of Africa, and um, just a different sweetener has some health benefits and. You know, I had never heard of sorghum until last Saturday. <laughs> well, well, good grief. You've never had a hot piece of cornbread with sorghum molasses on it? Well, that's one of the things, too. You can get it like sorghum molasses. I think it was like a sorghum agave type of thing. Mm-hmm. It was It's a lot of different ways, so. And really, it's not correct. I, I was in calling it sorghum molasses because that's not correct. They're two different things, but... Biscuits with sorghum, sorghum butter. Um, it, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. 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 There's nothing like uh, some fresh sorghum juice or gravy or syrup uh, on biscuits and or pancakes or any other uh, way you'd like to eat it. It was a pretty busy week on cooking and coping, Carol. Kara uh, uh, made a couple of dishes that she posted. One was a Greek version of a panzanella, a bread a bread salad, salad. yeah. Uh, but she used more Greek ingredients than Italian, so she called it a Greek panzanella. So that was really tasty. And we used some fresh tomatoes and cucumbers that I picked up on Highway 49 as I was driving south to my first cousin's funeral on Thursday. Uh, I went down 49 and then back up, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Smith County and all of the fresh produce that's coming in, watermelons, cucumbers, tomatoes. But I loaded up um, up and down the road on that uh, great Mississippi fair. Another thing that Kara made and posted on uh, cooking and coping that got a lot of activity was uh, toasted feta. She huh. she made this salad of tomato, tomatoes, and uh, uh, cucumbers. And then on top of it, she she broiled some feta cheese and made like a little top to the to the salad. And it was really, really tasty, but it got tons of comments on cooking and coping, people wanting to know how to toast the feta. And really all she did was just put it in the oven on broil and browned it off and then moved it over on top of the salad. And it was really a neat uh, – a neat dish. So it sounds cool. And even even though I was not with you guys, I was thinking about you and I brought each of you a gift. Oh boy. And I want to share this. Okay. Um, you know, this is not a visual program. It's some kind of contraption. It's, it's, an, it's a contraption. <laughs> and it's bright it yellow. It is yellow and it folds. 
And this is called... Some sort of press. It is a flucer. Flucer. It is a flat juicer. What are we we flucing? (laughs) We are going to fluce, in this one, we're going to fluce lemons. And, you know, using juicers, I know all, all our friends in Radio Land know how much energy it, t- it takes you know, to use a juicer uh-huh. the flucer expends less energy it folds up and i have never i'm showing you just a brief demonstration you so you you're dropping your a half of a lime yes into, into, into the, the fold of the flucer and it just easily squeezes and now you have lime juice all over the console. I do. <laughs> and um, so anyway, I just wanted, I bought one for myself and I was having, I loved it so much. I said, you know what? My friends need to have, have this one. This is great. So, so Java and I get so a flu. So present since, since I have been absent. Well. Dancing. It's time to get flucing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, our listeners talk about products like hot dog presses yeah, and yeah. hot dog bondage. So everybody go and look up what a flucer is. And now we all have one. So we will yes. we'll return we'll home and commence flucing. Now, my wife, she's going to love that because she's a juicer. So flucing is in can, our future. <laughs> lots of oranges. I can see oranges and lemons yeah, and yeah. all gonna sorts. It's going to be great. Of, it's going to be great, guys. <laughs> Floose juice everywhere, Java. Floose juice. Woo. Yes. <laughs> and a listener just called in and to remind us that the Slug Burger or Dough Burger place in New Albany is Latham's. It's downtown, and it's been there a long time. So I couldn't come up you with that. You heard one. it here. Heard it live, right here. Also, before we uh, talk about tomatoes, tomatoes and watermelons and such, we've got a good friend, Chico Harris, on the phone. He's sort of our North Mississippi correspondent. I would say that it's is a, the truth. It's always good to hear from Chico. What's up, brother? Hey, good morning, y'all. Um, I wanted to tell y'all, to up here in Northeast Mississippi, we have a saying, and it's plan ahead for pleasure. Hmm. And I, I want to recommend that everyone plan ahead for pleasure next year, June 28th and 29th, 2024, in Waterford, Mississippi, that's southern Marshall County, the North Mississippi Hill Country Picnic. It just happened this past weekend. And, you know, a lot of people go to the picnic because of the great live music. A lot of people go to the picnic because of the great people that you see. There may be people that go to the picnic to be out in the field in the woods in Mississippi in June. But I know everyone goes to the picnic because of the food. Mm. I just, I mean, I just, I, it was such wonderful seeing Charlie Musselwhite, Gary Burnside, Kenny Brown, and all them play. But, man, the food was just off the charts this year. Wow. Um, What'd you have? Yeah, there was, uh, you know, there's vendors. They have vendors there that sort of like a shakedown street at dead shows where people sell t-shirts and all that sort of thing and i walked up through it all and there was a couple of fellows that have started a spice company a couple of north mississippi fellows i think one of them was from ripley in tippa county and i think the other fellow was from senatobia and uh they started a spice company called spice crew Hmm. and um, they had a table set up and they have a uh, a ball mix for, for crawfish bowl called the Bayou Bowl Mix. And they also have uh, a spice called Bayou Burn, which is really hot. And another hot, one hot, called, hot. <laughs> yeah, and another one called Bayou Blend, which is really hot. And another one called Bayou Season Salt, which is not hot. 
and they asked if I wanted to try one, and I said, sure. And they said, you want the Bayou Burn? <laughs> no, no. I told them, I said, the, the, the hottest thing I want in my mouth is my red-headed woman's tongue, you know? <laughs> so I, I, I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't need the Bayou Burn. But I tried the seasoned salt, and it was fantastic. I can't say enough good things about it. Wow. Uh, SpiceCrew.com, and crew is spelled K-R-E-W-E. And um, I think it's a Ripley, Mississippi deal, but they manufactured it in Memphis. All right. Well, thanks also, for the. Oh yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, also also great at the at the picnic itself. You know, Mr. Tim from Betty Davis Barbecue oh, yeah. is always there. He has the concessions and he does great catfish and of course the best barbecue around and fantastic fried chicken is the secret about it. But uh, there's also the Boy Scouts were selling watermelon. Everybody was running around with a big chunk of a big triangle of watermelon. Um, Elizabeth Anderson Speed was there with her Oxicles, her gourmet popsicle stand. She, she sells those at like the, the Oxford Farmer's Market and places and events like this. Right. It's a really, really good thing. But well, Malcolm, Malcolm here, I thought it was all about music. And it's <laughs> it really, as, as usual, all about food. It's about culture. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, Malcolm, you know, I've, I've always heard from musicians about certain places that they play they get fed really well mm-hmm. like places like Howlin' Mouth and <laughs> Jackson and Proud Larry's and Oxford and Blue Canoe and Tupelo and, and many others well the thing about the picnic is it reminded me of all those great spots because the food backstage is supposed to be for the musicians right it's off the charts great um, Don and Abby Koleski from up there at Potts Camp they cook hamburgers and hot dogs, and it's one of those secrets. It's like Latham's in New Albany, open since 1927. A very unique taste. I, I call it the the picnic hamburger because it tastes like the North Mississippi Hill Country picnic. Uh-huh. And the, the, the library bar and grill in Oxford helps them with that. You know, people think of it as just a sports bar, but it's also a really good restaurant. And you, it's kind of crazy that the picnic has the wonderful Betty Davis barbecue and backstage they've got Mr. Greg Childs who cooked some of the best barbecue I've ever had. I think I had I might have had eight of those things over the course of the week. <laughs> well man, we appreciate the report out on the Hill Country picnic. Uh every year Kenny Brown and his folks do Hill a fine, Country Blues. Do a fine job up yeah. there. And we appreciate Chico giving us a good report this year. And, you know, Chico talked about watermelons. And um, as I said, I was driving up and down 49 Highway this past week on Thursday. And the tomato and uh, watermelon trucks are out all over. And they're, they're promoting Smith County, Smith County this, Smith County that. You know, it's quite a legendary thing, these Smith County watermelons and these Smith County tomatoes. And I stopped and got uh, cucumbers, tomatoes, and watermelon, and it was uh, all very tasty. And but it's early in the season. I think they'll get better with more rain and more, you know, heat, which certainly we're going to have plenty of coming up. But they're all always a summer delight. Uh, well, the tomato. I mean, the tomatoes. tomato is just <clears throat> phenomenal right now. And I learned a very uh, interesting lesson this week during the International Ballet Competition for forty the 40 years that we've been doing this, you know, the Southern 
uh, women who entertained the international judges would always do the little open face tomato sandwich, a little round of soft bread with homemade mayonnaise, of course. Of course. It's the Vicksburg tomato sandwich. Well, let me tell you about that. I was entertaining the judges and asked Julie Levenway, who is, you know, a friend, a local caterer, etc., to do the Vicksburg tomato sandwich. And as we were putting all this food out, I saw they were putting tops on the tomato sandwich. And I went, wait, wait, no, you can't do that. I said, I wanted the open face. And Julie said, Carol, I researched it, and the true Vicksburg tomato sandwich has a lid on it. Hmm. And indeed it does. Of course I rushed right home and looked it up, and the traditional Vicksburg tomato sandwich. We just call everything Vicksburg tomato sandwiches. Well, the open-face tomato sandwiches that you had at D. Rose Wake had a little bacon crumble on top of it. Yes, they which did. Which was a neat it was little delicious. added, very delicious. It, but it used the Roma tomatoes. Does yes. the, the Vicksburgs that you had use the Romas? No, they didn't. You know, you take like a uh, a biscuit cutter to cut out your rounds of bread, four-day-old bread. Four-day. Four-day-old, it says, for the Vicksburg tomato sandwich. Oh, then okay. you take the same cutter and cut your tomato okay. to size after slathering on the homemade slathering. mayo. Slathering. Yes. Okay. Um, anyway. The homemade mayo is a, a key it's component. It's the key. Yeah, no doubt. Whether you have a top or not. Yes. Uh, well, my friend Donna Barksdale and I ate a whole tray mm. of tomato sandwiches. We were at a political fundraiser, and while everyone else was listening to the candidate, mm-hmm. we stood at the table and ate the whole tray and then took the tray into the kitchen well, so no one would miss it. <laughs> How interesting, because at D. Rose Wake, the same aforementioned Donna Barksdale and I did serious damage to the tomato sandwiches that you had provided with the bacon crumble on top. So she's getting around. Yes, 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 indeed. Now, Carol, there are some tips that we retrieved uh, from uh, Southern Living Magazine about salads and summer upcoming and and things how to treat your tomatoes for the summer. So let's we share. want to treat them treat, well. Treat them well, and they will treat you well. First of all, store them at room temperature. Do not put your tomatoes in the refrigerator because they'll get mealy. Mealy. No one likes a mealy tomato. No, 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 no. And gotta, it kills the flavor. And you need to wash your tomatoes because they're coming out of the field or garden in hot water to clean them off because if the temperature of the water is less than the internal ambient temperature of the tomato, the tomato will absorb the water. And then you would have to drain it off even more. Malcolm, And wow. then they'll split and wow. rot. They'll split and rot. We don't, we don't want that. No, no. Okay, I'd like to – are you a tomato skin peeler or well, do you eat the tomato skin? It depends on the variety of the tomato. Some tomatoes you literally have to skin them or, or they destroy the flavor of the tomato. Uh, if they have a tough exterior, uh, leathery type uh, skin, they ha- it has to be removed, in my humble opinion. Other tomatoes have a very thin, uh, uh, you know, skin that's easy to digest and chew, and you don't have to bother with that. But it all depends on the variety of the tomato. This is for you. I mean, other me. people just 
peel anything. They'll yeah, no. they just they're peelers. In fact, some of the tomatoes I ate this past week, I peeled some and I did not peel some. It just depends on how thick the peel is. Yeah. For me. I'm wondering if we're going to hear from any listeners on the peel Peelers? versus non-peel. Well, they're welcome to call and get involved. You know, it's also tomato. I mean, it's also watermelon season in Mississippi as well as tomato. And uh, as I said, driving up and down 49, there were watermelon stands everywhere. And Java, you were going to share with us some of uh, maybe what people don't necessarily think of right off the top of their head about watermelons. Yeah, I always find it interesting because I just learned this uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, You know, when it comes to like African-Americans and watermelons, uh, uh, a long-time racist trope. If you go look in any history books, you may see the, you know, big-lipped, big-eyed uh, caricature, and yeah. uh, you know, of uh, African-American eating watermelon and stuff. But like I said, a couple of years ago, I actually learned that uh, after the Civil War, um, watermelon was a cash crop for the former enslaved uh, slave people. It was a, a sign of liberation and uh, self-reliance. And then it was, I guess, um, uh, co-opted mm. as a as a racist uh, type of trope to undercut the, you know, the the uh, the upcoming right. of African-Americans. And I always thought that was interesting. It's just, you know, how food plays throughout history. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, because I love a good slice of water. I had a great one uh, a couple of weeks ago when my family was camped out at my parents' house because we didn't have any power. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, just some, it's just something I just like yeah. to bring out to the forefront. And, you know, I was talking to Carol before the show about other examples of food as racist tropes or, or as uh, derogatory terms. Um, and when we moved from the coast up to the hill country, there were a group of kids that referred to us as shrimp pickers. Because, you know, the joke was everybody grows up on the coast as a shrimp picker. Wow. And, and it was supposed to be derogatory, but we just thought it was funny and never thought much about it. But there are a lot of other examples, uh, Carol, that we sort of touched on uh, where, yeah, where and people some use people don't food even as a know. racist trope. They don't even know, you know, what they're doing. But it, right. it's good to see that over the past few years that stopped. Yeah, they would yeah, call um, yeah, a wet salad uh, a wop salad. Right, because of Italians, and that was a derogatory name mm-hmm. for Italians. And Malcolm, Malcolm, and I were going, "Where did that come from? You know, where did that come from?" And uh, at the time, WAP referred to without papers, like immigrants who came into the country, you know, without papers. Right. But Th- you know, the things still, that we still deal with today, yeah, yes. that we deal we deal with today. But there are a lot of foods that are calling Italians a meatball. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. referring so to an Italian an old, American yeah. as a meatball is a, a racist trope. Yeah, and it's, just, it's it's interesting, you know how I mean these are foods and things that we eat and we enjoy, but they also tell stories and just are you know ingrained into culture mm-hmm. in ways that you may not even think about. This is interesting. Yeah, yeah it's it is interesting. Yeah. Well, speaking of watermelon, Carol, it, because it is watermelon season, let's talk a little bit about how to determine a good ripe watermelon. There are there are ways in which we are taught uh, to to do that. One is to thump it. Yeah, I'm a thumper. Thump. Are you a thumper? I'm oh yeah, a thumper. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what you're looking for is the deep 
hollow sound. A thud. A thud. Boop. A boop. And if you don't get that sound, then it's probably not ripe. But if you get a deep, deep, thumping, hollow sound, you've probably got a ripe one there. And that's because it's full of water. Correct. <laughs> Indeed it is. And another thing, is if you're going to the farmer's market and there is a yellow kind of yellow spot on the bottom of the watermelon it's it's a really good sign that that watermelon was left to ripen in the field it wasn't taken off and ripened on the truck right there you go and if you sniff it out you should be able to smell the sweet aroma through the rind of the melon uh, an unripened melon will have hardly any aroma or any smell yeah I find it very difficult to smell, to pick up a watermelon and smell the end of a watermelon. Now, I see smellers all over the grocery store. There's sniffers all up in there. Sniffers (laughs) sniffers on on cantaloupe and honeydew is more doable, but you can't pick up a huge watermelon. You think it looks rather strange to be sniffing the butt of a watermelon (laughs) in a grocery store? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I quick think, question, what, since you're talking about that, um, are you guys salt on a watermelon? No. You know, I do not mind that. My grandfather liked salt on his watermelon. It is not my first choice, but it also does not offend me. Okay, okay. I think it's God's most perfect food. So it why is watermelon? It? Yeah, and why do you touch my, it? My why mother's it? daughter, we were talking about, I don't know, y'all, my mother Dorothy, who they called D-Row, passed a few weeks ago, but um, in the summer, she ate a watermelon every day, and it was a ritual. She and my father would go from our home in Pass Christian and look for her watermelon, and she did not share easily, but, you know, she taught me that it is God's perfect food, and that it's really heresy, these new engineered watermelons that have no seeds. I mean, what what's that about? Yeah, that yeah. is a real phenomenon nowadays. People, you no. cannot, you can, you're hard pressed to find a watermelon with seeds. That's crazy. I know, Java. When you were little, did your grandmother or some other relative tell you that if you swallowed the seeds, uh, that the watermelon was going to grow out your nose? <laughs> there you go. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, How about you, Mal? Uh, absolutely. Hey, speaking of watermelons, we've got Jesse on the phone from Mobile, Alabama, who's going to talk to us a little bit about how he picks out a watermelon. Hey, how's it, guys? How we doing? Yeah, the rain that you had, we had about 1 o'clock this morning down in the Panhandle of Florida, so it's just going to be regular hot today. Yeah, indeed. So, great day to have your watermelon. My dad had two techniques. One was the thumping, and you listen for the hollow wall sound versus this is what the stud is in the wall sound. Right. If that makes a sense. Absolutely. Okay, the other was, okay, you know the tall grass everyone had growing up looks like wheat in the yard that you didn't want because it, you could tell you hadn't cut the grass or you had wheat growing in the yard? <laughs> yeah. You take that piece of grass, take the seeds off and just have like the straw. Yeah. And oh, put yeah. that on top of the watermelon. And it would turn perpendicular. What? Wait a minute. Now if it's, mm-hmm. So if it's ripe, you put a piece of grass on top of the watermelon. Right. And it would turn. Now, if it keeps turning, it's overripe. Found it at the hard way. Goodness. Everybody's perplexed. Yes. (laughs) The the silence is being perplexed. Yes. Well, we'll just have to try it. 
It's like the guy that comes out to the house and tell you where to dig for the water well. Oh, with the yeah. divining rod. The divining with, rod. Yeah. yeah, this is the divining yeah. grass. And you're like, how in the world does that work? But yet and still, that's who you called. Otherwise, wow. you're digging in vain. Okay. So. Determining the ripeness of a watermelon with a piece of grass. Okay, yeah. we'll, we'll vote on which one of us tries it this week. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks right. a lot, Jess. Appreciate you listening, calling in. Uh, we're not going to take a break now. We're just going to go straight to our special guest uh, from Long Beach, Mississippi. Uh, we've got William Rester on the phone. Who He's a restaurateur. He, he operates Radish and uh, some other establishments. Hello, William. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you guys? Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Of course. I was recently on the coast, spent the night at the Pearl Hotel and ate at the Thorny Oyster. And I, sure. was, I was told while I was eating there that the chef of the Thorny Oyster was no longer there, but had moved to a place in Long Beach called Radish. And so the next yeah. morning I dashed straight off and then came to see you. And please share with us about your establishment. Oh, yeah. So um, Radish opened up. Uh, we're going on one year now. So, I, you know, it feels like it was just... Uh, just the other day, but that year has sort of flown by in a flash. And, um, you know, we opened with the idea that we would sort of do a take on, on the modern, modern Southern uh, dining that, you know, has sort of come to prominence in the last few years because of, uh, you know, John T. Edge and Sean Brock and this awareness of just really great Southern ingredients. And, you know, radish is also a take on the idea that Long Beach itself used to be known as the radish capital of the world. That's right. And so that was, you know, you guys are talking about uh, after the Civil War a few moments ago. Um, that was something that, you know, Long Beach was known for. The railroad had come through and there was this opportunity to farm. And radishes grow quick and they don't rot and they're able to ship easy. And so they went north to... Um, you know, parts of Ohio and, and the Northeast where these were shared as, as bar snacks. And that was something that uh, we just found really interesting about the history. We, Family and I have been in Long Beach now for about six years and uh, just really wanted to play on that. Well, that's great. And that's a great story. Uh, it's a great part of the Mississippi story. You know, I grew up in Stone County and we had the cucumbers. We had the, okay. we had Wiggins had the largest the pickle, pickle factory, factory in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And everybody grew cucumbers, and it was the local uh, produce. Uh, well, in past Christian, we had oysters, the world's largest oyster beds correct. at one time. Now, you've also op- opened up a second uh, eatery next door to Radish, have you not? We did. You know, just you get lucky every once in a while, and those, those spaces come open. And Chef Lauren and I, you were talking about Chef Lauren, who was formerly at the Thorny Oyster. Um, she and I, Lauren Joffrey, on, we, we, we wanted to take over the space. And, uh, you know, one of her areas of expertise is, is Asian cooking and inserting those flavors into things. And we just saw an opening for ramen and buns and things. Oh, that, man. You know, we have on the coast uh, in great quantity. And so we just kind of jumped on that and, and we opened uh, Kaiteki Noodle Bar, which Kaiteki means comfort in Japanese. And so it was sort of playing on that idea of Southern and comfort and uh, that, you know, Southern food, but, you know, the Southern hospitality idea is there. You know, when I was at Radish, I had that fantastic uh, shrimp taco that had sort mm-hmm. of an Asian sesame uh i guess sauce on top and of course there were a radish or two uh, as a condiment sure man that so was we try great to sneak them in. we try to sneak them in wherever we can and 
Um, you had the uh, hot honey tacos. We're really into the hot honey now with a little bit of gochujang and um, you know, radishes. Are it was kind of funny. I, I talk with guests as they come in. We served them in a very European way when we opened. They were just raw with butter and salt, and the idea was to dip in the butter, go into the salt, and eat. And 50% of the customers were like, wow, this is great. And then the other 50% were like, what's going on here? I don't understand. Why am I, <laughs> why am I eating this thing that's you know, kind of salty and peppery and spicy? And uh, one thing we've done in the last, I'd say, few months, we did a menu change kind of uh, towards the fall, winter. We took the radishes and we said, well, you know, we've got to do something different. And the idea was to roast. You don't see a roasted radish very often. So I have we never them. seen a roasted radish. It is amazing. We do a, a, a roast with some olive oil and salt, pepper, a little oregano and rosemary. And then we serve this on a bed of whipped honey goat cheese. Mm. There's a on there with some purple carrot balsamic vinegar and send it out with some really great rosemary uh, olive oil bread. And you just kind of make a nice little crostini out of that. And it's just fantastic. Wow. Okay, so are you using those Japanese watermelon radishes for that or just a regular, what we think of as just a grocery store radish? We, You know, we use what we can get um, every once in a while, sort of try to source, you know, as locally as we can. Um, we'll get some stuff out of Two Dog Farms there in Jackson area, and uh, they've sent down some really great watermelon radishes and every once in a while we'll get a french breakfast and it just kind of depends on you know what farmers are growing and and um we love the color and you know they're 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 so different in flavor depending on the variety and you know what part of the season that they're grown in whether they're summer radish or winter radish and you know we just we 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 try to get those as much as possible and uh, we just love to incorporate the color in there for sure so william how did you get into the restaurant business (laughs) <laughs> I was a teacher for 12 years. Uh, it's just kind of a funny story. I just done all the education and bachelor's degree, master's degree, specialist degree, started working on doctorate and uh, principal certification, national board certification. And I just, it was just something missing. And my wife uh, actually owns Dolce Bake Shop there in Long Beach as well. And she's just so inspiring to me. And when it kind of came time to say, you know, I'm, I'm coming on the halfway point in my career and I'm not really feeling fulfilled anymore. You know, would you support me in going into a venture? And we did a little coffee shop that was kind of in the back of a wedding dress shop. Which I know it sounds kind of different. <laughs> um, and it, you know, started off great. And then three months later, the pandemic hits. So um, we kind of just rolled with it. And we were able to turn that into a food truck, which sort of gave us the opportunity to park in front of the bakery there in Long Beach and sell lunch during the day and then do wedding catering for people. And then that evolved into the space that is Radish now, which is behind the bakery. So we've kind of brought up three establishments on this one little corner in Long Beach. Wow. So you've got the Dolce Bakery is right there next or close to Radish. And what's the name of the noodle shop? Uh, Kai Techie Noodle Kai Bar. Techie. We actually opened another location of Dolce in Bay St. Louis, right behind the Pearl Hotel, um, there on Main Street. And it was the location of another bakery, the name of which I cannot recall. That used to be Serious Bread. Serious Bread. So y'all have taken over the Bay St. Louis location for Dolce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have. So we're just a little busy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody needs four restaurants. 
That's right. Absolutely. Nothing insane about that. No. You know, I really love um, the merging of the Asian cuisine with the Gulf Coast cuisine. And, and, and I've always thought that with all the Vietnamese who settled there and sort sure. of took over the shrimping and oyster business, that this would happen. And, and it's happening in many ways. There are certainly uh, shops in Biloxi, Gulfport, that are Vietnamese-owned, the, um, the French, the bakery mm-hmm. uh, in, great in Biloxi. Lee Bakery, sure. Yeah. You know, uh, we, it's just, we, we've been kind of talking, Chef Lauren and I, a lot lately about, you know, where we're going as we, we sort of reach this first year and, you know, what we want to say. And, and I think every great story has a why. You know, I grew up reading comic books and every superhero had a why. You know, why were they doing this? And, you know, as we sort of go forward and, and we're very inspired by, you know, all our friends who, who own establishments down here on the coast, um, White Pillars, Vestige, and Chef Austin, and Chef Alex, and, and all of our friends there. We, you know, we're looking at what they're doing as well. And, and Southern is just this melting pot. And I know that's kind of like a, a cliche thing to say, but, you know, there's, there aren't many areas in the country that have this sort of history that we have here and the combination of different flavors and peoples and how things are always changing here. And, you know, it's one thing to say you're a, a modern Southern restaurant, but I don't think you can ignore the different flavors that are going on around you. And so, you know, we always look to kind of take something, you know, like a classic dessert, like a creme brulee, and how can we do it just that little bit different that's going to make somebody go, this is really awesome. And for us, that's that combination of that Vietnamese iced coffee, that really, that condensed milk, that really, you know, the brown sugar and that really sweet flavor that goes in there. So just, you know, that little something different. And I think mm-hmm. you, you had that as well when you came out that day. Yeah, you had that Vietnamese coffee. Uh, what was the the dessert that I had? What the creme brulee, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I love the Vietnamese coffee. Oh, yeah, and, I do too. And again, that was a recent advent uh, to the coast. Growing up, we didn't have that. You know, you had the New Orleans right. Chicory Cafe. and Sure. But this is really cool. And you're using it, are you using it also in the bakery? A little bit. You know, my wife loves to take uh, just different flavors and things and, 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 and incorporate those as well. And we've got uh, Coast Roast coffee behind us here, which is which has grown exponentially over the last few years. They actually have a roasting plant right behind the bakery in the restaurant in Long Beach. So you really, you know, you can't, uh, can't get any more local than that when the coffee beans are literally roasted right in your backyard. Right. So tell our listeners uh, where they can find more info about your establishments. I'm sure you have social media that they can go sure, and look. Of and, Radish and yeah, Radish and Kaiteki are are both on Facebook and Instagram. Of course, Kaiteki is spelled K A I T E K I. Uh, there's websites for both of those KaitekiNoodleBar.com as well as RadishLongBeach.com and Dolce Bake Shop is on there as well on Facebook and Instagram at Dolce Bakes. Dot net B-A-K-E-S, and we're just, you know, we're having a good time, and, and you can reach us, and we're pretty quick to respond, and we love interacting with our customers and our guests, and, you know, so many of them over the years have become friends, and, you know, one thing about Radish that we really love is it's, it's small, and it, it's a tiny space, the whole restaurant, kitchen, and everything, bathrooms, dining room is less than 1,200 square feet. Wow. Yeah. We, we really do work with a tiny space. There's there's 31 seats in there, and we, we cram you in, and, and I would love to spread out a little bit, but it's just, you know, we, we have some, some old church pews that we rescued from a barn in Picayune that we incorporate against the wall, and you really do get to know 
your other diners there next to you. And <laughs> we've had some, some people that have come in, and they're sitting next to another couple. And then they start coming in as four, four groups of four because, you know, they, they, they made that connection there while they were eating. And it's, it's hard not to look over and sort of make that, that connection with someone when you're that close and you're exploring all that food together because your plate comes out and you look over and you say, wow, what did you get? I got this. And then you start to talk and it's just easy to, to become friends after that. Right. Well, I ate outside the one time I've been to sure. Radish. You have some tables and umbrellas out front there. Did, yeah, and that was that was kind of a late addition. Our landlord said, you know, you, you need some more space. Let me, <laughs> let me help you out here after we got open. So we added about another 10 seats. So in that tiny little space, Inside and outside, we're pushing, oh gosh, 40, 40 people through there. So what are some of your uh, dishes that uh, people sort of – I know that, that that shrimp taco dish is really well-known and, and the dessert dish, the uh, creme brulee. What else uh, do you serve at your other places that people come for? Well, uh, one of our most popular dishes at Radish right now is a duck. And kind of one of the things that we've done is we, we take a set of proteins. We've got a really nice, um, uh, about a, I would say 12, 14-ounce pork chop with the bone in. And then we're doing some really nice uh, grit girl grits with that and some, some, some collard greens and a little bit of uh, mustard seed caviar. And we'll sort of take these proteins. And we'll riff on them every season or so. So we're looking now to kind of flip over into the summer and lighten things up a little bit. So our pork chop is really popular. Our duck, which we're doing right now with kind of a, a savory French toast and a bigger odd sauce, which is kind of like a sweet and sour orange and beet sauce that we put there with it and a little bit of uh, some of our smoked and pickled beets. And we do a little blackberry with that as well. Mm-hmm. And... You know, just uh, we just try to sort of take the classic things that you're going to want to eat. We've got a nice little fillet with a, a, a demi gloss and some fried oyster mushrooms that go along with that. And and you know, like I said, every 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 season or so, every couple of months, we'll just kind of look at it and go, I want to try something else. And we'll take that protein and then we'll sort of give it a new sauce and a new little gloss. And and that way, you're not flipping the menu a hundred percent. And people are still coming in and going, I had that pork chop. And yeah, like, where oh, is you it? Try it this way now. <laughs> Because we're doing it just a little bit different. Right. Well, William, we appreciate you joining us. That's William Thank Rester you, from the restaurant Radish in Long Beach. Um, when you're on the coast, give them a try. I did, and I was happy that I'd done so. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners like yourself, and we thank you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Palmer, I'm Malcolm White, and we ask that you now stay tuned for Marshall Ramsey's show, Now You're Talking, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And we ask that you join us every Monday and every Sunday at 9 a.m. for more Deep South Dining, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.